Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us for episode 209. We're recording on Sunday, January 29th, uh, 2023 at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Actually, it's about 10.25 Pacific time now. We've had some technical difficulties, but we're here. We're recording uh, ahead of the uh, championship games in the NFL today. That's why we've got an earlier recording time. I'm Terry. We got Todd. We got Zach. Todd, I see you're wearing your Eagles gear today. Yes. Yes, I am. Because <laughs> they are my third favorite NFL team. And I have been a fan since uh, Donovan McNabb, who was my favorite college, my first favorite college football player. And then he was drafted by the team with the coolest jerseys. And I was like, okay, that's going to be my team. And then they got their choosers got even cooler after that. So, yeah. So yeah. Got, and then what I got. McNabb's Eagles on Todd and Zach. Obviously, you're a Bengals fan today. A huge Bengals fan, of course. Uh, <laughs> no, what I what I said earlier before, when Todd said he was rooting for the Bengals, our broadcast cut out. But what I said earlier was, uh, Todd, how much of this Eagles fandom is influenced by the fact that um, Robert De Niro got an Oscar nomination as the world's biggest Eagles fan? I mean, there has to be some juju that has to deal with that. In the words of his character in that movie. I don't know. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of that movie, but sure. Although I think the the guys that try out for the Eagles and Invincible are probably bigger Eagle fans. So. I'm gonna be an Eagle, baby. So so I mean, we could be rooting for it's not, Todd's rooting for for Eagles Bengals. Eagles Chiefs would be really intriguing because then you've got Andy Reid up against his former team and the Kelsey brothers, the Kelsey Bowl and the Kelsey Bowl. Uh I don't know why, but I'm kind of no. I do know why. I'm kind of rooting for Niners Bengals just because that's that Super Bowl has happened twice before, and the last time it happened, it was like Joe Montana's most epic moment ever. And I kind of I don't know why I kind of don't hate this Niners team. They're just really good. So, well, that's sacrilege to say as a Seahawks fan. I know, fan, but I know. Hey, you know, half this podcast would consider themselves Niners fans. And, uh, you know, Brock Purdy is the Jack Swaggart of that team. And he is everyone's saying, they, come on, rookie, park that thing. I, I think he, he could do it. And that was a that was a beautiful uh, landing that he did. Didn't even need any training in the simulator. Did and a great the, stick man. Did you see the Niners fans in Philadelphia at the Rocky statue yesterday chanting Brocky? That's yeah, just un-American. <laughs> Well, plus his brother was like a, is is a Nebraska quarterback, and he's not very Chubba. Good. Chubba, Chubba Purdy. His yeah. brother's name is Chubba. His brother's name is Chubba. Wow. I was watching yeah. on um, I was on the treadmill yesterday, and at the gym, the on the TV was a replay of Iowa State Oklahoma from 2019 because Purdy was playing against Jalen Hurts, and it was like a classic. It was a nice. That was pretty fun to see. I'm intrigued by the treadmill. The, 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 how, how long do you go on the treadmill, Todd? About six the, miles. The, the listeners want to know. Six miles. I hate treadmills. Well, there isn't around here, there isn't a whole lot of places to run that have a sidewalk. So um, uh, yeah. it's a little dangerous, especially when it's early in the morning. 
see, I go, I go to a gym and I jog five miles, but they have an indoor track. But the problem is you got to go at 530 in the morning or else it's all old people. And you can't run around the old people without knocking them over. Am I right? Wouldn't the old people day? be the ones that would get up at 5 a.m. to go well, running? I, that's a good point. There are fewer of them at 5 in the morning. <laughs> but it does sometimes turn into Death Race 3000, and I got to knock them over and get them out of the way. I did three miles around the neighborhood yesterday. Nice. Nice. It was cold. Nice. Cold. I don't know how we drifted on this conversation. I don't know it's either. It's kind of fascinating. Well, uh, let's let's drift back into what we normally talk about. We've got a lot to lot to discuss today, but before we get into too much, we got to talk about what we're drinking. Zach, I believe uh, it is the final well, the final Sunday. Here's the real issue. I mean, if if Joe, Joe Burrow really is Tom Brady and he breaks my heart for the second year, can I? Ma- I'm literally like 36 hours away from this shit. You know, can I can I <laughs> wait another? Th- this would be the time that I would want to break it. I I don't know. It's going to be a test today. I just want to avoid the whole issue. Then again, I wouldn't mind drinking to celebrate either. So it's going to be a tough day either way, probably. You're way yeah. more than 36 hours away. Am I probably what? Yeah, I guess a couple like 60. days, 60 hours. Yeah. yeah. Todd, what do you got? Uh, well, since we're recording in the morning, I am drinking a Bloody Mary and with some oh. hot sauce that I just made yesterday. And, um, and I, I actually turned on a uh, Dexter new blood. And in one of the first scenes, like the, the one guy tries to buy a gun from Dexter, but they have to put him on hold. Uh, because he's it's a really expensive gun and they have to like check his background and stuff like that. And the guy's like, really, you can't just sell me the gun? Okay, whatever. I guess I just got to start drinking earlier. And that's the way I felt when I... Or that's why I made this uh, nice cocktail here. Because at least I get to start drinking earlier. Because we're recording at 10 a.m. Yeah. As I, as I was uh, about to sit down to record, my wife looked at me and said, Oh, you should have had a Bloody Mary today. I'm like, yeah, that would have been, been smart. I've never uh, I went, had a Bloody Mary that wasn't at the airport. Oh, see, my my last trip to Vegas, I I got a different Bloody Mary from a different place every morning, and uh, it they were good. They were all good. There's definitely the best Bloody Mary in town, though. I'll have to show you next time we're there. So I uh, I went to the grocery store and I got some beer for today, and I felt like this was an appropriate beer. Speaking of Vegas, an appropriate beer to have, uh, considering the movie we're reviewing. It is a dead guy, but this is the dead guy IPA. Normally it's the dead guy ale, the, the black can. This is the green can. So why is that appropriate for the movie we're reviewing today? Um, Infinity pool. Was there a dead guy in it? I mean, there's, there, 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 there were there pe- dead plenty, people in it, but there's, there's also dead, dead people in a lot of movies. Yes. I, I, th- I felt that it was appropriate though. I thought you were going to say like it's called an Infinity IPA or something like that. That would have been good too. Swimming pool IPA. I, I I'm not sure what. Well, you disappointed me, but that's okay. Well, it's a dead guy. There, there, better... there, there, there could be theories. Let's just say that. That's true. Okay. That's true. So, uh, since the last time, last time we recorded, we talked about Oscar nominations, who we thought was going to get nominated. Since then, uh, the. Uh, nominations have been announced. We've had plenty of discussions off the podcast about this, but we need to like give some reaction to that before we get into all the stuff that we've been reviewing. So, uh, Todd, I know you've had some pretty interesting stats that you've uh, that you've accumulated and you've figured out from from this. What were your first reactions to some of the nominations we saw? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think any m- movie had a perfect haul of nominations so 
but uh, there are some really weird things that happened. Like All Quiet on the Western Front is I read the first movie since uh, The Grand Illusion in 1938 to be a foreign language film and get a Best Picture nomination without a director nomination, which just makes it even more ridiculous that whoa that's that, interesting that my my prediction didn't come true. Uh, and I guess just every time a foreign movie gets nominated for picture, it comes with a director nomination. Well, but, and not only that, but it got seven tech nominations and no director. Yeah, I, think, I, I mean, it, it. I mean, I think the last time that happened was was what? Well, well, I mean, I think it was, was Dark Knight, and that that changed the voting. <laughs> but listen, I mean, Ruben Ostlin has a umlaut over his name, which makes it look more foreign than Edward Berger. I mean, that just sounds like an American, you know. But Ruben Ostlin, that's definitely Swedish, right? But it was an American, or it was an yeah. English movie. Right, right, right. But what I'm saying is that, that the stupid Oscar voters, they voted for Andrea Riseborough and they wanted a foreign best director. So they went with U- Ruben Ostlin because they didn't actually see the movie. They're just idiots. That's true. They, they probably didn't see the movie or they wouldn't have voted for it. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, and but the, the way it all shaped up, I, like I always do my my top 10 biggest snubs, top 10 coolest first time nominees. But like if there were five nominees, I started doing recently and. I think if there were five nominees, it would be everything, everywhere, all at once. The Fablemans, the Banshees, Vinishir, and Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Um, I don't think I think Ostland is is a classic lone director nominee. If there were five nominees, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I I still kind of hold to to I think Elvis would get in there. Um, potentially over Tar, but Top Gun Maverick did not have a great day, but it did get adapted screenplay, which is weird. But then it didn't get cinematography. That was the it, weirdest. Well, that was the I, weirdest of them all. So yeah. the, the screenplay nomination was big for Top Gun. I think it did have a great day. It was never getting in for director because everyone keeps saying like Tom Cruise and Chris, Chris McCord McCoy. pretty much directed it too. So you can't really single out Joseph Kaczynski, which I get. But it got in everything. It's going to win editing. It's going to win sound. It got in for visual effects. I think it had a. I think it had a solid nomination. Zach, you mentioned possibly the biggest story that came out of Oscar nominations, and that was Andrea Riseborough. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't care about the Best Picture nominations. The story was Andrea Riseborough, which we didn't even have the balls to predict last week. I mean, we even thought that was too crazy to happen. Well, I had but, her, yeah, like seventh or eighth in my in my predictions. So yeah, I mean, I, mean, I predicted that Top Gun wouldn't get get nominated. That's that's I wanted a crazy prediction. I but Andrea Riseborough was too crazy for me. So I think the big story is. You know, we're 12 months removed from the Oscars voting uh, 11 straight weeks. It was going to be Power of the Dog. And then the last week it switches to Coda because everyone changes their mind. It's the exact same thing here. This body is prone to Internet, Twitter. They're prone to the social media campaigns. And to a lesser extent, you could put, say the same thing about Stephanie Sue, uh, which I did predict. But I think Todd was rightly skeptical of. Um, and you know, it's just kind of interesting. Is it a good thing or bad thing? It's probably not a great thing, but it is an indication that this could go any way, uh, in the final few weeks. Who knows? Women talking was sort of a surprise nomination. I, it's not impossible that that could win if it has a big social media movement in the last couple weeks. With one other nomination, like that'd be. Yeah, but the point is, the point is, the voters are swayed by social media movements and hashtags. Well, and Jay Riceborough is a little different because like that was a that was a campaign built on the fact that their studio didn't have any money and so all of her uh all of her like 
co-stars from the past and stuff started like hosting screenings at their houses so that they could get more voters to see the movie because nobody saw it because nobody it was never available so i mean that's a little different and yeah they tweeted about it and stuff and that makes a difference to some extent but to actually get nominated i think that's well and over danielle deadweiler and viola davis yeah, the, the Viola Davis makes no sense that she didn't get nominated. Daniel Dyweiler makes sense because that movie made no money and basically nobody saw More it. More money than to Leslie. I mean, at least that was in right. theaters. Right, but, but I mean, obviously there was... It was Terry's was... number two movie. It was. I mean, we, I, we, we swayed that influence. I had I had Deadweiler and Davis missing also, but I had I, I went with Olivia Coleman for Empire Light. I thought it was going to be some sort of established, you know, token nomination for someone not the random you know the random small time movie coming out of nowhere and getting the nomination well causeway is the same way causeway is another movie that nobody saw right yeah at least that one's streaming though so i mean and and brian tyree henry i i think i i think i wrote in my article that he's he's in a he was in a situation where he's like john c Riley in 2002 like he's in every movie and every tv show and so eventually he was going to get nominated for an oscar and this just happened to be the role that did it even though i'm not really sure he deserves it well and and that knocks out paul dano who i mean the academy just must not like him i don't know i know that this he's in little miss sunshine and he was in there will be, there will blood. be blood and now the fablemans all juggernaut best picture nominees and he was nominated elsewhere for them, and now he still and can't it, get the Oscar nom. I don't, I don't understand it. It also would have been cool to have three Batman actors nominated. But, <laughs> you know, the look. I mean, I think it's it's fascinating what, that what are the other ones, what Barry Keegan and Colin Farrell, right, and yeah. then Paul Dano. Oh, not actors that played Batman. No, I was no, like, I meant ba- okay, I was, thinking, from the, the I was thinking the pale blue eye wasn't mentioned. I don't. I was. You you had me confused. Amsterdam though. got omitted. <laughs> Where did where was that? Uh, yep. Terry's uh, dream came true about Judd Hirsch. What was your reaction, Terry? I knew you were that we were really pulling for that. That was Terry's great moment. He predicted it back in November when we reviewed it. And your dream I laughed. Came true. I laughed, but I think at the, I, I laughed at first, but I think at the same time, like the way it was listed, the moment you heard Judd Hirsch's name, you that's also when you realized that Paul Dano wasn't there. And so it's like really he got it over him and it's which is crazy todd you texted me something crazy that there's only four repeat nominees this year oh yeah for acting yeah <laughs> yeah and the, the only repeat nominees are uh kate blanchett and michelle williams and then yeah thir- 42 years since the last nomination for judd hirsch and 29 years since the last nomination for Angela Bassett. Everyone else is a first-time nominee, which is incredibly rare. Yeah. They almost always go with their network of, of nominees. and like, But they, there's a lot of veterans that are just getting their first nominations. Like Brendan Gleeson, it's ridiculous he had never been nominated before, you know, and and people, Bill and Nye. Michelle Michelle Yu and, yeah, Bill Nye. Like, it's, yeah. Well, and it's the first time, it's an all-first-time nominee list and actor since, like, the 30s, right? Yeah, since like they were basically the the first <laughs> the first times anyone had a chance to get nominated, <laughs> so they couldn't have been a repeat nominee. <laughs> but again, like you said, it I mean, you, with Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, and Bill Nye in there, it doesn't really feel like an all first time list. Yeah, because they've been around the conversation so much. 
Yeah, I thought I, I it's a, it's an interesting uh, list. I thought Elvis was one of the losers. I, I went into this year thinking or this season kind of thinking Elvis c- could actually be maybe a front runner. I don't really think it can win Best Picture at this point. I think it needed maybe a couple more nominations, and it had it seemed to have a lot of social media backlash that it was nominated. I don't know. I mean, you look at these last few years, everything everywhere all at once is certainly the, it, it leads all the nominations, but the film that gets the most nominations rarely seems to win anymore. I mean, it was Joker a couple years ago and Power of the Dog last year. And I mean, Roma, Roma. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. seem to happen as much anymore. The difference yeah, though with the, this the last is time that... the, the leader nominations won, I think was The Shape of Water. But right. I mean, it, it really is now movies with like five or four or three nominations that win Best Picture. I, I feel like the difference with this one, though, is Elvis or not Elvis, everything, everywhere, all at once. It feels like the little movie that could and it's peaking at nomination. But time. now it's the favorite. See, I, I know, mean, but but it's, it's peaking but at the wrong it, time not, is the problem. It, it, it if you look at like you, you look at like Coda versus Power of the Dog, Power of the Dog was the industry favorite oscar Beatty movie the entire time the prestige pick and then it doesn't end up delivering at the end when was the last time that we had the the little movie the little indie movie that everybody loved being the front runner like this Slum, is like Slumdog a precedent that was the last time was slumdog millionaire and it took and it, it went all <laughs> the way so so it i i think it, it's safe to say that you could say everything everywhere all at once is like slumdog millionaire well you could say the but, artist is sort of yeah, sort of mm-hmm. that had Weinstein money though. I mean, I think it's it's just interesting. Like to me, I kind of if, if I'm in Vegas right now, I kind of like women talking and I kind of like Triangle of Sadness. I think both of those movies touch on like in particular Triangle of Sadness. It got the right nominations, it got the director nomination, it didn't get the Dolly Dolly de Leon nomination, but it is a pretentious movie and it has a message about how bad rich people are. But when you're ranking the movies, like those movies are hated by a lot of people. Like those those movies can't win. Like no, I, Women I, Talking I, is a very divisive movie. Like people hate that movie. There's no way it's winning this picture. Scott McDormand. Yeah, true. I, it's an, another nomination for Francis McDormand. Yeah, that that is that that's a takeaway that not many people are talking about that she gets another nomination. So what her third best picture nomination or something, which is I think that was some sort of record for women or it was she's got the most nominations i don't know it was some some combination of acting and producing nominations that made her some sort of record breaker i don't know is there any way banshees pulls this off yes it's it's possible if it if it sweeps at like bafta and it and 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 who knows what happens with the the producers guild that probably is going to top gun i then i think it's it's wide open once again because banshees has defied the odds at every step, especially like with the SAG ensemble nomination, which nobody thought could happen because there's only like four no- potential nominees. Yeah, from I the think ensemble. Banshees is the mature film. Banshees is the film that ha- is is the more prestigious film in a way. If you want to maybe have a maybe this is a crude comparison, but maybe it's like oh six Banshees is the Departed and uh, everything everywhere is Little Miss Sunshine. I mean, it's not a perfect comparison, but in the sense of like Banshees is not a crowd pleaser by any means, but it's it's a more mature film with an established filmmaker and, and, and screenwriter and actors. So I, I, I've gone to my head, it might be the front runner right now. It's funny that you're calling Martin McDonough the mature one of the group. 
after his last few films. <laughs> well, mature in the sense that he's been nominated before. It's he, true. He's been there. Daniels has never been there before. When was the last time we had a more populist Best Picture lineup? I mean, we've got Avatar, The Way of Water, Elvis, Top Gun, Maverick. I mean, all these were box office juggernauts. You've well, got those are everything the only three, ev- though. Everything Everywhere went over $100 million. Two Leslie made about $62. <laughs> yeah, The Fablemans is not is like Spielberg's smallest movie ever. Only one streaming office. movie to get nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I noticed that, too. That seems like a reaction to last year a bit. And it's a German war film. I, it's <laughs> it's it, it there. There's so many just interesting, weird little quirks with this year's uh, with this year's nominations. Were there any other ones that were even gonna like possible? Like I don't. I mean, for streaming, I predicted RRR. Yeah, but, but that that's not that wasn't a streaming movie though. That oh, wasn't that was Netflix backed. Back. Yeah. It's just on Netflix. Um, I mean, I, I don't think there were any others that were really that close, except maybe Glass Onion, but that was... Glass Onion, I mean, up up until people saw them, Bardo and White Noise were supposed to be there, then yeah. people saw them. Um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't a great year for streaming, and it, like I, I kept saying, it wasn't a great year for Netflix when we did that, <laughs> not yeah. Rushmore, but you guys were like, no, they didn't were fine, like, well, well this shows that they weren't fine, the only, only thing that they got was a German war movie. Well, they you also nominated you know Elvis, so maybe they're the problem, not Netflix. You just keep bashing on Elvis. I love the movie. Elvis um, and Avatar can't win. I think it's the other eight could. There's storylines for. I don't think those two can win. There, there's, there's no a, chance women talking wins. I think I there's a slight chance. I don't think there's any chance Tar chance. wins. I same one percent chance. Yeah, yeah there is a there is a the there's a chance that everybody has that like number two, and then but it does have a lot of people that think it's not the best movie. It, so it, it's polarizing. I think it's a little more polarizing. And, and Birdman um, wasn't, and Green Book wasn't. I mean, the, the polarizing is not a. He, you Green know, Book wasn't polarizing deal. necessarily when, when it was voted on. It, it wasn't polarizing until it won. Yeah, mm, I, I don't know. I'm just saying polarizing is not necessarily a bad thing. It means people watch it, and some and people gravitate toward it if they're told to not vote for it, which is exactly what happened last year with Coda. People were told you have to vote for Power of the Dog, and everybody hated that. That's that's my fear with everything, everywhere, all at once. If everybody's saying, "Hey, this is the movie," you know, it's it's inclusive, it has a positive message, it has a great cast and great special effects. It's a it's a no brainer. Vote for it. We know what voters have done in the past. They've said, "Screw you," voting for something else. I think the main lesson that we've learned from this uh, Oscars nomination uh, time is if you want if you want your movie to stand the test of time. Have Diane Warren write a song for it. Well, there's that. <laughs> I, I mean, was, has anybody has anybody even heard of this movie? No, I mean, it looks like it had a decent cast. I looked up; I think it had like 50 votes on IMDb, and it had no. I think it, it premiered at one festival, and that was it. And <laughs> I mean, there was a chance after she got she got her honorary Oscar this year, and and. There was a chance that people were going to be like, all right, she's got one now. We don't have to nominate her every time she writes a song. Apparently, they still do. Well, that just shows that they they still do go with their network all the time. I mean, like, look, Rihanna's nominated for an Oscar now. I mean, it's like the song category is ridiculous. Every one of those potential nominees had somebody famous. And I think that's the only reason why. Because I don't know any of these songs. The only song I could think of is is RRR's song. All these other songs are just like... I know the Top Gun song. I can't, yeah, I can't we, even I can't even 
think about one note for, in my head from it. I don't know. I I can, but I really want to see my I want to see my year of dicks. That was my favorite <laughs> nomination. Yeah, that that and then that followed up with the uh, what was it? Uh, an ostrich told me that the world is fake, and I'm starting to believe him. I, I think um, I think shout I out to the animated system. short. <laughs> That's how you get your film nominated. You gotta get those titles, those crazy titles. The question is which crazy title is going to win that that's because they're all crazy or there's at least a bunch of them. All right. The one live action short or the one animated short by Coleman Domingo did not get nominated though. Oh, that's a bummer. And so he's going to have to wait till Rustin comes out for him to get his first Oscar nomination. Yeah. Jerry well, Bruckheimer got his first nomination. I had him that, as my number 10 coolest first time. Nominee. That's a pretty cool. <laughs> that's a pretty cool nomination for him. <laughs> Uh, well, go to almostsideways.com. You can see the uh, all the uh, what we thought of all the nominations. There are only six movies that uh, that none of us have seen that were nominated for an Oscar this year. One, of course, being the uh, Diane Warren uh, song Tell it like movie. a woman. Tell it yeah. like a woman. Well, nobody's ever going to see a house made of splinters. Like they they don't even they didn't even give me a screener for the Spirit Awards. For that because it still has no distribution in the united states like, but it got I mean, a nomination I yeah i have no idea how <laughs> nobody's seen it <laughs> i i'm shocked that none of us have seen argentina 1985 because it's been on prime for six months but anyways there's there's only a few uh and we've three, all seen the bubble three yeah three international films two argentina. documentaries and then the song uh that none of us have seen but check out what we think of all the movies that were nominated. Check out how we did on our nominations by checking out our Oscar grid. Also, you can sign up for the Oscar challenge and uh, predict who you think is going to win. See if you can best us. Uh, and more Kyle. importantly, see if you can best Kyle Heck because he wins every year, even though he hasn't won for like five years. But we, we keep that joke going around here. Uh, 15th annual Oscar challenge. How, how old does that make you feel? We've been doing this for 15 years, running this crazy pet website of ours. Yeah. And then we're going to do our own category, right? We're going to vote on our own winners. Yes. And yes. in an era when Andrea Risebro gets a nomination because like five people said she was awesome in a movie that about six people saw. I mean, we could have influence, right? Listen, I mean, if we had just gotten our brains together last year and said we love Strummer, that would get a nomination. <laughs> That guy would be not Cody Clark, best director. That would have beat out Coda. All I'm saying, I, I am I am not above bribery. So uh, all you uh, all you big Hollywood bigwigs that are obviously listening to the Almost Sideways podcast right now, if you want, I mean, let me know. You can send me some stuff. I'll vote for you. You can get some Almost Sideways awards. So uh, yeah, that's gonna be coming up uh, middle next month, middle of February. We'll be uh, revealing our our award winners for that. Still figuring out exactly how it's gonna work. That that's a debate to have off off camera though. Okay, well that's the Oscars. Now that we're deep into this already, let's get into what we've been watching, and uh, we're gonna start with uh, Zach. Zach, you're gonna be first up. Tell us what you watched this week. All right. Uh, this week, I went to uh, Living, the Academy Award nominee mm. uh, for Best Actor um, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Not for Best Director. That I, I missed on that, but I'm still glad I made that prediction because I was a good it. stab. It was a Thank good stab. Thank you. I appreciate it. I just got the wrong foreign director. I should have gone with Ruben Oslin. Anyway, um, Oliver Hermanus is the director. 
And Bill Nye is not the science guy, Bill Nye, but he is the actor in it. He doesn't play Billy Mack, but it is set in Britain. And it is a uh, remake of the great Japanese film Ikiru by Kurosawa. And it tells the story of a uh, an old man who is kind of um, working a dead-end job at City Hall. He's been working there for a very long time. And uh, he discovers that he has a pretty bad terminal illness. I think it's stomach cancer. It's kind of like the first episode of Breaking Bad. And so uh, he's a little reluctant to tell everybody. But once he kind of explores this... Uh, you know, very negative, very uh, dire prognosis, um, his world starts opening up and he starts living for the first time. I think the Japanese translation of Ikiru is living, by the way. Uh, the movie is written, I got some props today. The movie is written by uh, the novelist Kazu Ishiguru, who wrote The Remains of the Day. I thought about The Remains of the Day watching this movie because it is also very much a movie about stuffy white English repression about people that can't really share their feelings with with each other because, I don't know, it's just the rep repress, repressed society sort of stuff. The movie's set in the 1950s, and I think Oliver Hermanis does a wonderful job of recreating that that era. I, this is not exactly an expensive movie, but the way that I, you know, maybe the filters that he uses or the costumes and some of the sets are really, really awesome. Um, Bill Nye is great in it. Uh, this is a, a well-deserved Oscar nomination in, in a way kind of an unusual one because it's much more of an internalized performance than externalized. There's no scenes where he's screaming or anything like that. He's a very quiet voice. You would not recognize the once great rock star Billy Mack uh, in this role. It's a totally different uh, type of performance. Um, the movie, if you've ever seen Ikiru, it follows Ikiru pretty closely in terms of its structure. It does some formalistic things with the narrative that are kind of interesting. And I don't really want to say too much about it because it, it's pretty cool to see them happen. I had kind of forgotten about the, the Kurosawa movie. And um, this movie is a pretty close trans translation of it. Um, I will say the end felt a little bit too sentimental for me, whereas Kurosawa's movie is more of like an indictment of society. This movie kind of becomes a Terry movie, no offense, by the end of it. And it kind of nice. turns a, a little bit into A Man Called Otto. I don't want to say how, but I think Terry would totally dig this movie for that reason. But it's still very worth seeing. Uh, loved it. Three and a half stars. Borderline top ten movie for me. And it would get my... Bill Nye, Bill Nye would get my vote for Best Actor. He's terrific. I love how you're shouting out a movie you still haven't seen. Yes, I, I would assume this is better than A Man Called Otto, but is it the, is it better than the fourth best movie of the year? I don't know, but uh, I guess I guess we'll have to go to you to say because it does it does have some uh, some dis, uh, the striking Terry elements to it at the end. Yeah, God, I, I, I watched. Too, right? this, yeah, yeah. I, I saw it too, and I, I did when I was watching. Uh, th there's a scene near the end on a train that I was like, "This is Terry's number one of the year." Yeah, like, that was the worst exactly... scene in the movie. That was that's the, exactly the, yeah. I was like, oh, no, I'm done. But it's still a good movie. But that scene, we didn't need it. Yeah, I I, I really like the movie too. I give it three and a half stars as well. And it's yeah, Bill Nye has one of these. His the way he carries himself reminded me of like when um uh what's it Mark Rylance like does like the best parts of of what Mark Rylance does because he he has his, it's so underplayed but and he and he's so brittle and and his voice doesn't really ever raise and it's just but it's so he's fascinating to watch and it's not anything like any he's ever done I really liked Amy Lee Wood the his uh Ms. his uh, co-worker she was great and yeah she she was um close to be, making my top five for best sporting actress and um yeah, I mean, it's it's a great movie. It's a really unusual screenplay nominee, but I, I think I still think it can win because it does have a lot of those things that um, 
that the Oscars do go for, like the the speeches and just like genuinely great characters. But yeah, it's it's a really good movie. I, I'm, I'm I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, I'll have to see it now. Todd Todd informed me it was a remake of a Kurosawa, and at which point I informed him that I have never seen a Kurosawa movie. Yeah. Wow. Which I said that that is a that is quite the blind spot. Yep, it is. It is. But you have seen every documentary from 2012. <laughs> I have. I have. And 2002 and 2001. Including that one about the, the tree huggers in Eugene. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. with like four votes. Pretty so, much. Yeah. If a tree falls. That's what it's called. If a tree falls. All right. Todd, you're next. What did you watch this week? Um, so I watched uh, one of my screeners from Film Independent and... Um, it was, it's one of the international film nominees, and that is uh, Return to Soul, uh, directed by Davy Show. And uh, it's it was actually the Oscar official submission by Cambodia, but it was also a joint production of Cambodia, South Korea, Qatar, France, Germany, Belgium, and Romania. I don't think I've ever seen that many countries listed as the country of origin before. Um, it was, but uh, this is a movie that follows this girl, Freddie, played by Jamin Park, and she's a Korean-born woman living in France with her adoptive parents who and she develops this sort of free spirit and uh, decides to travel back to korea for the first time in search of her biological parents and when she gets there doesn't exactly go the way she planned and she doesn't really find exactly what she wanted and the rest of the movie is chronicling her and her korean parents and her french family over the course of several years um seeing how people change and watching her growth and maturity and and still letting this void in her uh, take control of parts of her life. And um, it's a beautiful movie. It's uh, directed with a pace and it's just mesmerizing to watch at its best. And like, it's never less than intriguing. And um, every line seems vital. Like it it never lingers on anything. It just lets the characters play it out. And um, Park gives an extraordinary performance. She kind of reminds me of like young, uh, Erica Christensen in like her facial expressions and how she carries herself. She's amazing in this. And um, uh, Kwong Rock Oh and Sung Young Kim are uh, her father and her aunt. And they are they are great uh, standout supporting performances as well. There's a little bit of like the worst person in the world in here. Like the character has her faults. and But we, we like her and we want to follow her even though like her plight is a little out there. But her, her struggles are relatable and true it's difficult to shake off it it because it, 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 nothing happens perfectly at any point for any character but that's life and I, I love this movie it was actually named best picture by the boston film critics which is a great pull by them it cracks my top 10 at number 10 of 2022 Ooh. three and a half stars wow. wow so that knocked off what what was it that it knocked uh, off saint saint omer uh, oh, gets okay. just barely bumped it, it was it was i i struggled whether i should put it 10 or just leave it off but no it's number 10 nice and yeah hopefully this uh this comes on some streaming network soon because uh i i think a lot of people are gonna like it i could see zach really getting into this one for sure do you think it has a chance to win foreign film i mean, foreign film is sort of a strange category this year i don't think there's any clear favorite right what at the spirit awards didn't you say this was a foreign or international film nomination well, yeah, at the Spirit Awards. Oh, um, okay, not the not the Oscars. No, it was the official submission of Cambodia at the Oscars. Ah, but you know, I don't know what's going to win international film at the Spirit Awards, though. I mean, I guess 
I mean, I guess Corsage is probably the highest profile one that's nominated, but I don't know. Like that movie sucked. <laughs> sure. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, right. I don't know. I mean, Return to Soul would be my vote, though. It, it's 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 terrific. Cool. All right, my turn. So I have a couple movies to talk about. First, my uh, my Oscar watch for the week. So 2003, going back 20 years, uh, it had three nominations, two acting nominations, and a score nomination. House of Sand and Fog. House of Ooh. Sand and Fog. Well done, Todd. Wow. Well done. Yeah, I don't know how I'd miss this one, but I hadn't seen it yet. So House of Sand and Fog, it is uh, directed by Vadim Perelman and stars Jennifer Connelly, Ben Kingsley, uh, Ron Eldard, and Shore Agdashlu. Uh, and uh, it was King, Kingsley and Agdashlu that got the uh, the nominations at the at the Oscars. James Horner score, by the way, miss him, miss all, all of the amazing stuff that he did. Uh, this is a fascinating story about um, about this house, and it's Jennifer Connelly's house that's been passed down to her through her family. Uh, she has no uh, no money, no job, no prospects, and it, she gets evicted. And it's kind of a weird way that it, she got evicted and kind of some sketchy circumstances. Ben Kingsley... Uh, his family buys it up, uh, trying to work his way up through uh, through society, and uh, buys it cheap at the auction, and uh, wants to flip it so that they can continue to move up and become uh, a little more affluent in society. And uh, Jennifer Connelly is fighting back and trying to get her house back. It's one of those movies where you can see both sides. And you can understand where both people are coming from. And no one really does anything wrong. It's just they're they're all doing exactly what they need to do in that circumstance. Uh, the one exception to that is uh, the police officer played by Ron Eldard, who is just completely wild card and kind of ruins the movie in some ways. Like his character first, he's he gives a horrible performance and his character just does is the only one that does things that doesn't make sense. And uh, if he would have just calmed down a little bit, I think the movie would have been great uh, as it is. I'm giving it three stars. Cause it really had some interesting stuff that happened uh, and, uh, and really carried me throughout the whole, the whole movie really had me feeling for all the characters. But yeah, if it wasn't for that, that character and his motivations and his, whatever he was doing on uh, the performance he gave, this this could have been a like a top ten two thousand three movie for me. So uh, that's the House of Sand and Fog. Have you guys seen this one? Yes, yes, I saw it. I haven't seen it since it came out. Although I think I saw it twice. I think I'm guessing the website has me listing listing as four stars. I remember really loving this movie when it came out. Ebert also gave it four stars, not incidentally, and. Um, uh, I, I do wonder how it would age. Um, I remember that Eldred performance being the weak link in the movie. I also remember the movie being about 20 minutes too long. But the good parts of the movie were really fascinating. And you're right, Terry. Mm -hmm. I think it does a good job. I, if I remember correctly, it does a really good job of balancing out the perspectives of the two characters. Ben Kingsley is crazy in this movie. I mean, his performance was amazing. 
And I remember the Andre Dubu's book as well, which I read shortly after the movie came out. Really enjoyed the book, which was written from the general's perspective. And uh, yeah, just a cool, really different movie that really has not aged at all because no one remembers it and it's not streaming anywhere. But I remember really liking it. It's on Canopy, by the way. So it is streaming somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't remember a ton of. I, I did. I I haven't. I don't remember that much of it, but I I do remember thinking at the time that that was Jennifer Connelly's best work. But I don't know if that how that how that um, actually is true because I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember much of the movie, but I do remember Honestly, thinking that. It, it it kind of felt like uh, this is what her character from Requiem for a Dream was doing five years later. Yeah, it's kind of an, an Andrea Riseborough performance, quite honestly, right? Isn't she like an addict or something? And yep, yep, it's she, you know, it's she too even, lovely. Although her name like in the her, movie is Kathy, I believe, which is also her name in Little Children. Her Jennifer Connelly's last scene in the movie is even like on a pier, overlooking the ocean. Like, I mean, it, it's it's total requiem mm. moment there. Okay, so I said I was going to report on a couple different things. The other movie I'm going to report on was the other part of my double feature, along with what we're going to review together in a second. That was Women Talking. Uh, I, I was I was texting Todd and like, should I watch Women Talking or should I watch Living? And he said, well, you got to see the Best Picture nominee, right? Well, now I'm kind of wishing I'd seen Living after hearing you guys talk about it. Um, women Talking, for me, I don't know. Uh, I've got it at three stars right now. I kind of want to go down to two and a half. It, I don't know. It feels it, it's boring. Like there's not much that I feel like they have the exact same conversation over and over and over again for like most of the movie. And then everyone gets their opportunity to scream at the camera. Uh, it, it, what they're talking about, what they're doing is important. Um, I feel like Rooney Mara's character is a, is a caricature and not really, not real. Um, it, but at the, at the same time that like you, you know, this is what they're talking about is, is important stuff. And I, I don't know. I'm conflicted on this one. I really don't know what to do with it. Who is your favorite of the actresses? I mean, for me, it's Claire Foy. Claire Foy is the one that should have gotten. Yeah, she's pretty, she's. But she her, she plays it up Jesse, the most. Yeah, her and Jesse Buckley like are the are the brashest, and so they they have the most to do. Um, Isn't Ben Wishaw terrible? Ben Wishaw. It's <laughs> terrible in that. He he is he is exactly what he needed to be. I I, I think we're on the same page. I like I kind of give it three stars out of respect, That's, but yeah, it, kind of. But it is too. one of those. It is one of those things where, I mean, parts of it are really interesting, but it really doesn't have a, the flow of any sort of interesting narrative. So it, it yeah. I mean, I, I, I figured we, like, our, as a group, we'd be all over the map. But, I mean, apparently we're all just giving it three stars. Zach still hasn't seen it? No, I, I would have seen it today were it not for, for football. I'll see it by next week. But uh, would this movie have been better, Terry? Instead of women talking, it was a man called auto-talking. <laughs> Then you would have given it thumbs up. It's not even. It's not even a comparison. It's. It does. It doesn't even work. I. I don't know. I just like the man called Auto jokes. We're going with those jokes until April or May at least, right? One of you has to see that movie, though. I, yeah. All right. Anyways, that's what we've been watching. It's now time for a featured review. 
I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And for that, we all went out and saw Infinity Pool. Ooh. That's beautiful. Wow. Is, isn't that isn't that good? Lots of purple. Well well done, Adam. Adam did a good job putting that graphic together for us. I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day to mix things up a bit. Hi! You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon? I'm working on it. What do you do for money then? You married Rich. Well, <laughs> I actually came here looking for inspiration. Mr. James Foster, you'll have to come with us. Here, the punishment for any crime committed is death. What? What did you say? But for a significant sum, we'll build a double to send in for your execution. your transformation. This is just a little game. But I can take some blood. Yeah! Show me how strong you are. It's really disgusting. You could just sit there. And watch it happen. You know, James, do you worry they got the wrong man? Uh, yeah. So, Todd, you're going to start out on this one. Tell us, uh, tell us all about Infinity Pool and what you thought. Well, I told you you shouldn't have gone to see women talking after Infinity Pool. I that's, know. That's why I you know. said it was boring. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I may have, I may have pulled a little bit of a Zach on women talking as well, but yeah, I, slight those makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Infinity Pool is uh, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, the son of David Cronenberg. And Adam and I were big fans of his last movie, Possessor. Uh, so I, I, I was kind of excited to see this. It, is, it follows a couple played by Alexander Skarsgård and Cleopatra Coleman. He's a struggling writer. And they go on vacation to this sinister resort called Latoka. And there is like strictly warned to stay on the premises. But after falling in with another couple played by uh, Mia Goth and Jaleel Lespert. Uh, they venture off and get into some trouble when an accident happens and they're faced with the just atrocities of this place in this weird cultish community. Um, there's this thing like, you know, if you commit a crime, then you're going to be executed or you can pay to have your clone, have you have yourself cloned and then they'll be executed. Um, there's a lot of clone movies in the last few years, but uh, this is, this takes it in an interesting direction. Um, it starts out in a way that's really kind of lulling you into the story the way like all great horror movies do. Like it, it kind of reminded me of The Lost Daughter 
for like the first like 20 minutes. Like, it even kind of looked like it. But the beats of the music tell you it's going to be something different. And it's good that the music actually does tell you what you're supposed to be thinking and feeling because it gets f- pretty freaking far out there. And uh, you don't really know what to think. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård is good. He's he's rarely ever the protagonist in a movie or like a relatable character that you're meant to follow. But he works in this. Uh, Mia Goth is playing right in her lane, though. She's insane. And I, I think their first encounter, awkward encounter, is like a random hand job. And I'm pretty sure he's wearing cargo shorts. The first since Namit, it would appear. Wow. Um, but, <laughs> yes. I, um, I did not notice that. That is a brilliant observation. I think Great they were pull. cargo shorts. They looked like a Great um, pull. Everything um, is so heightened in this movie and so drastic. You're really just kind of astonished and disgusted at the same time. Cronenberg clearly has learned a lot from his dad. Like you may be thinking, you know, when he makes something like this in the way he does, he's like out of control or something. But I I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think like Wendy Peppercorn, he knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, He's got this like Nicholas Winding Refn level control of the atmosphere, like making the surreal violence and images just look gorgeous. The cinematography is really good. And there's something irresistible about the grossness and perverseness and fetishes that he uh, puts on screen in this. I I think the mythology of this would have been a really interesting book, and I don't think I've ever made that you know criticism of a movie before. Uh, the movie's a lot. It's a lot of style. It's a lot of substance, but it's also a lot of nonsense. It's it's hard to look away, even when you kind of want to look away, because it's hard to actually keep your eyes on. It's I don't know if it's great or awful or like just admirable. I think it's kind of admirable. I really enjoyed it. I'm at like a high three stars, but I honestly could go any direction on this. It, it just depends on how what mood you're in when you watch it. All right, Zach, how about you? Oh, come on. You can't ask me to go after that. That's like going right. to see women talking after that. No, I'll <laughs> okay, go then, after it. Go. I'll go after okay. it. Go ahead. You can take your nap, Terry. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I did not fall asleep during this movie. It would have been hard to fall asleep during this movie, I think. But uh, yeah, I mostly disagree with pretty much everything Todd says, which is why I want to go next. Uh, I think this movie is ponderous. Uh, It is um, really, uh, you know, kind of like shoddily made. I don't think that the special effects in that movie, in this movie, are that interesting. When you have the pulsating, you know, psychedelic orgy scene from Moon from Midnight Cowboy come on, and you get Mia Goth dancing naked, and then you get the the movie even has a trigger warning about the epileptic seizures, and it's like. The movie isn't, it's it's almost as though Cronenberg is saying this movie isn't that interesting, so I have to infuse it with these scenes of crazy debauchery in order to wake people up. Um, even though, you know, like I said, I mean, I guess it's an interesting enough premise. I don't know. I, I feel kind of disappointed. I think this movie does have an interesting idea that, that these people could enable themselves to be reborn to escape these crimes. And it has a kind of cool dystopian element to it. But the second half of this movie just feels so, like, shaggy it's like there's no consequences to anything that the characters do i totally lost interest in it because it was just you just chalk it up to crazy shit you know it's another one of these movies where you just it's like the director starts with something interesting but then just goes completely haywire and it's totally indulgent i felt in a way the movie was kind of juvenile like it just kept on trying to shock you with this gratuitous violence and sex and drugs um it was also i thought pretty clearly trying to channel the great masters of body, the body genre, like Pier Paolo Pasolini, my third prop here, you know, the scene when Sarsgaard is in the choke collar, and then you got like sort of a, a little bit of a clockwork orange theme, a little bit um, with this idea of like rehabilitating people in a weird way. 
it just does it never it never works it it doesn't it doesn't strike anything interesting if the movie is some sort of commentary on rich people i mean you todd says we've had a lot of movies about doppelgangers lately well we've also had a lot of movies that think they're great because they're saying rich people suck ruben oslin get an, got, got an oscar nomination for saying it so i don't think this movie is saying anything um that radical it's uh sarsgaard is really good in the movie i guess i don't know i mean he's kind of doing crazy shit um, there's a scene where, uh, there is blood wiped over a woman's, uh, breast and we're just kind of watching it like, okay, bro, do your thing. Um, I didn't care for this movie very much. It wasn't boring though. So I am giving it two stars. I didn't fall asleep during it. It, it, it ended when it needed to end. It wasn't two and a half hours. And if, if, if we're living in 2023, and I'm giving movie a half star up because it's not two and a half hours. I guess that's saying something about the world we live in. Uh, but it's not really my thing. Brendan Cronenberg is not David Cronenberg. I did get some crash vibes from this movie, uh, but not in a good way. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, Todd and I, I think watched this at almost the exact same time Friday night. Because as the credits were rolling, Todd texted me that that he thought this was going to be an interesting conversation. And my response back, I think, was my favorite take. Which was, uh, yeah, when you have a grown-ass man nursing off of some woman's tit covered in blood and your only response is, yeah, that tracks. Uh, you know this movie is out there. Well, it pulled a barbarian yeah. on us. <laughs> it did. It did. Uh, I'm, I, uh, I agree with one of you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Todd. And yes. just that it's... <laughs> but I think we're actually not that far apart, the three of us, because I feel like we're all kind of in the same place where when it was done, we were like, what the hell did we just watch? And and it's just that Todd and I kind of admire that little bit of what we just watched. And uh and Zach didn't. I, I don't know. It, it it had me entertained. It the 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 camera movement of like of like the the rotating around at the beginning it almost had this hypnotic sense to it. it's like okay you're you're like locked in um i don't know it, it was it was entertaining it was weird but i kind of liked the weirdness i don't know i'm going three stars out of basically i don't know what to do with it but the the fact that it still You've is never seen anything quite like it. That's what it... <laughs> yeah, the fact that it still is intriguing me in some way two days later. I'm at that respect. So, I, and also I did see that um, at the premiere, Brandon Cronen, Cronenberg uh, brought Alexander Skarsgård to the premiere in a dog collar and leash. So uh, nice. I, uh, that that That's tracks. Beautiful. That tracks. When's so. the last time someone got a hand job in a collar and a leash? I mean, Todd's comment makes me rethink. I got to rethink this whole thing right here, in the words of Robert De Niro in Silver Lion's Playbook. But uh, no, I, I agree with you, Terry. I, I and I actually don't really disagree with a lot of your, what you guys are saying. Maybe it's just the mood. Maybe it's just you know your expectations for the movie. I think my expectations were a little shot because I think this movie has a clever and interesting premise. So first 45 minutes, I'm kind of in on this movie. I would have probably given it three stars. It just goes too batshit crazy at the end. I wanted a little bit more control and a little bit more like commentary about human nature instead of crazy blood spurting and epileptic seizures and, you know, the excess. I didn't want the excess. I wanted it to be a little more pointed. Yeah, if you're looking for control, well, I mean, the this body is not horse. a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the body horror stuff is totally classic David Cronenberg, though. And, like, sure. I told Adam, like, he's going to love this movie. I told him it, it reminded me a lot of the Neon Demon. 
and at certain points that and that's why i think nicholas whining ruffin is the perfect comparison for what this movie is going for and i think it works i i think cronenberg is a really interesting visual director and i i've seen i've, I've liked i've seen two of his movies i really like both of them so I, I i can't think that zach would like possessor now though now the now that he didn't like this one probably not although i i did i i like david cronenberg's daddy cronenberg's movie more last year crimes of the future uh which, which i thought was actually a lot more edgy than this movie um i guess what i would say too is i just think like the movie thinks it's really i think the movie thinks it's smart i think the movie's a little smug it assumes oh this is this is a commentary on 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 wealthy and privileged people in the world and it's just a I th if that's true that's a dumb commentary i don't think it has anything that interesting to say about it i i would have liked a lot again a different director actually winding refin the, the the neon demon has a little more subtlety than this movie it's not a bad comparison but i would have maybe at winding refin is a better director for this kind of material all right so todd and i are at three stars zach's at two stars i think uh it's at the terrible. least it's yeah at the least it's it's intriguing it's going to keep your attention for uh, for the full runtime of almost two hours. It's in theaters now. Uh, check it out if any of this sounds interesting. Uh, if you don't like gross out anything, don't go see this movie because, yeah, it's it's out there, man. It's out there. All right, that's what that's our feature review. Time to move on to power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And for that, we're going to Todd. Todd, you're the one that uh, that one last time. You picked this category. What are we doing? Uh, so I think Infinity Pool could be described as a as a as a horrible vacation taken by some characters. And so I decided that we are going to look at some other movies that are vacations that go wrong, uh, in which vacations are something you see a lot in movies. And But it, as uh, actually going down the list of things that we, we could potentially mention, it, it actually isn't as broad as I thought. So this we actually could have overlap. This would be interesting. Yeah, this yeah, was this, this was interesting. A, I didn't a, think of a shit ton of movies, but the ones I thought of, I I, I really like. It was kind of it was harder with this list to come up with a a ranking of five than, uh, I guess normal because they're all pretty interesting. I I had a I had a great group, but I had trouble coming up with one. Like my number one, I was like, I don't love any of these for my number one, but. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Todd. I think there's a chance that we're gonna have some overlap here. So let's uh, let's see how this goes. Uh, we're starting with Zach. Zach, what's your number five? All right. Well, normally they like to start you off with a starter one. No. Uh, <laughs> normally, uh, I like to pick movies on my power ranking that that I like, that I give thumbs up to, unless there's a specific reason. My number five is a movie I gave thumbs down to. Uh, but I think it fits this category for a clear reason, but also for a more existential reason. And that is uh, Todd's, I want to say, number seven movie of 2020, Black Bear. Um, nice. And uh, I did not like this movie. Todd really likes it. Terry needs to see it. So maybe he can agree with me this time because it sucks. But it fits this list perfectly because it is a, it is a, 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 a vacation from hell in the sense that Audrey Plaza experiences hell while on vacation, and we as a viewer also experience hell because of how stupid the second half of this movie is. And 
I appreciate a movie that does have the, now listen, I'll agree with Todd on this. Like the movie has balls. Like it's, it's definitely out there in a way that I think uh, Brendan Cronenberg should watch and try to take some lessons from. It doesn't totally succeed obviously, <laughs> but man, I mean the movie, I don't know. Like it almost feels like an Aronofsky movie in the second half. It feels so strange and, and, and disconnected, but you're kind of like, you know what? It, that's a perfect um, illustration of a vacation from hell. It shouldn't go the way you want it to. If On Golden Pond is any, on any of our lists, that is doing a disservice to this category. So it needs to be messy. It needs to be messed up. And there's no better example of that uh, from a movie I dislike than uh, Black Bear. So it's my number five. I'm not entirely sure it's a vacation, though. Like, they're they're making a movie. I'm not, I mean, I guess they're portraying a couple on or like a group on vacation. I don't know. I, I'm not sure it's a vacation. <laughs> Well, they're in a cabin somewhere. She's she has fled the, the her normal environment to get inspiration. So I think it's definitely a vacation of some kind. I also had the plus one twenty that we were going to bring up. What is a vacation within the first five minutes of this power ranking? So I <laughs> well, I mean, I just uh, this isn't. They're not on vacation. Like I don't know. I mean, like if you look up lists, they'll have like days to confuse or something because they're on summer I don't vacation. Look up that's not a vacation. I do it from my own brain, man. I don't look this up what the internet says. Well, this is I'm not the not Oscars. A I'm not listening to Dear Dear Leslie. I, I come oh. up with my own shit. <laughs> Dear Leslie is not the title <laughs> the, of the movie. Too Leslie. I'm just, I, I don't think this is a vacation, but okay. I do love the movie, so I guess I'm happy. To I want to give it a second chance, and I want Terry to see it. I think I might not have been in the right mindset. I, I respect the pick. Okay. All right. I'm going next. So my number five, I did look at some lists just to kind of give me some uh, some inspiration. And I came across a movie that from my childhood that I haven't seen in a really, really long time. I don't remember a ton about it, but it, it's worth mentioning. I don't think I've ever mentioned it before. Uh, this is from 1988, The Great Outdoors, starring John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, John Candy is is uh, you know the uh, all American dad who's taken his uh, his family out into the woods for a for a vacation in a in a cabin out to the great outdoors and his obnoxious brother in law played by Dan Aykroyd comes along and uh, and ruins everything. Uh, like I said, I don't remember a ton about this. I do remember at one point there's a like a grizzly bear after them. And there's this there's a scene where John Candy's like, bear, big bear, bear, bear. And it's it's really funny. He not he like gets stuck underneath a door and the bear's jumping on top of him. I don't know. It's silly, it's goofy, it's it's late 80s comedy uh, written by John Hughes, but it is definitely a vacation gone wrong. And when you got John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, it you know you're at least gonna laugh a little bit. So the great outdoors, number five. I've never seen it. Me neither. Apparently, I don't have written down that I've seen it either, but I totally have. I need to. I need to watch <laughs> it again. Uh, yeah. Okay. Doesn't Todd, number like five. It's streaming anywhere? Dang it! Oh well. Go for it. Okay. Number five is a movie that I have previously mentioned on my most essential employees, unexpected performances of the 2010s, and best scenes of the 2010s. It is Spring Breakers. Yes. Um, because obviously break. the the the, the, yeah, the girls are going on spring break and um and in St. Petersburg and they meet Alien which is the classic character played by James Franco the drug dealer 
extraordinaire. And uh, it obviously goes wrong. A lot of things go wrong. They they sort of end up in like the, all the, this big crime plot, although I don't think they actually think that's a problem, but they do end up in a lot of trouble and in a lot of really bad situations. Uh, the movie is nuts. Harmony Corrine is a treasure. And uh, this might be his masterpiece. I don't know. I, I I've seen this movie a few times and I just I, I love it and I, I it always pops up on these lists so Spring Breakers. Well, you knew it was going to be there. So you know, did we? <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's Pat, for some reason we didn't do a ten year deep dive of it last year. I think yeah. Todd should pick it this year, and I'm already staking my claim that Alien would be played in the remake by Angus Cloud, aka Fesco from Euphoria. <laughs> well, it's too, too obvious. Although I don't, he would look awful with like long hair. <laughs> and James Franco so didn't. Maybe just the whole movie is is recap is by the cast of Euphoria. That's not bad. I mean, they're all around the right age, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, Zach, number four. All right, number four uh, is one of the great movie sequels of all time. Sequels have a long tradition of uh, going on vacation <laughs> because writers lose, uh, you know, creativity. I thought about going with Cheaper by the Dozen 2, which is an underrated sequel, um, but I went with an even worse great sequel, and that is Speed 2 Cruise Control, a movie that has appeared numerous times on my power rankings, and it still goes unseen by both of you for some reason. Um, it stars Sandra Bullock taking a big paycheck, coming back as Annie. No Keanu Reeves. He was doing stuff like The Devil's Advocate. He was he was in a, in a, a bit much bigger world for it. But her boyfriend now is Jason Patrick. And I believe I had this movie on our list of like power ranking of of car chases or something. Because I remember talking about the car chase with the ice cream truck uh, in one of our power <laughs> rankings. I'm not sure why. But anyway, the premise of this movie is that Annie and her new boyfriend, who's also on the SWAT team, his name is Alex, they go on a boat, and guess who's there? It's not Dennis Hopper, because he lost his head at the beginning of the first speed, but it is Academy Award nominee, uh, future star of Inside, Willem Dafoe, doing his best crazy impression. He's got the leeches. He wires this uh, boat with some sort of bomb for some unknown reason, and of course, the boat has to go a certain speed, and the only way it can slow down is by the boat crashing into an entire uh, port city somewhere in the Caribbean. I mean, listen, if you're talking about great vacation movies, you know, this is pre-Oscar Sandra Bullock, which is a very underrated point of her career. The while we were talking 28 days, Sandra Bullock is the is the Bullock that I miss, not the Academy Award nominee. And I love this movie way too much for my own good. I think it is a worthy successor for speed. And I think I have it ranked on my 1997 list higher than many Oscar nominated films that I probably shouldn't say out loud. But it's a great movie, great vacation movie. Anytime you get movies with flying chainsaws, you know, it's worth it. Great appearance by Glenn Plummer as a Toon Man reprising his great uh, five-minute role in the first Speed movie. It's a classic. I Okay. You describing that and you still arguing that Speed is better than Die Hard. When well, yeah, and Die basically Hard 2. Did, Die they Hard basically did what Die Hard 2 did. Except it's not at an airport. It's a, It's on a boat. Yeah, they, like, they like went. Let, let's go from let's go from a bus to a boat, just like Die Hard said. Let's go from a, a office building. Hey, to wait, an you airport. told me to not judge you for Man Called Auto, which I'll bring up again. Man Called Auto, in case you forgot, you shouldn't judge me for Speed Two until you see it. Remember, Zach likes stupid. 
I do like, to... it's like the oh, where says. is it? Where is it? Where, where is it? I've got it here. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Where'd it go? I lost it. Hold on. Uh, here it I is. love silly. I love <laughs> stupid. I, that's, those are great descriptors of speed. Too. <laughs> I might, you might've been describing speed too. When you said that. probably 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. Or yes. Four... <clears throat> Eber oh, liked man. it. They both liked it. Siskel and Eber gave it two thumbs up. Well, I, I will say no one can quite do crazy quite like Willem Dafoe. So there is that. All right. I'm next. Number four on my list is a movie we've all seen because we all reviewed it. It's one of those movies. Zach mentioned this a couple weeks ago uh, when he mentioned a movie that he will always uh, um, associate with COVID. This is one of those movies for me. It is The Rental written and directed mm, by Dave Franco. No. It's one of the first movies I thought of when when I heard this list. Vacation's gone wrong. Oh, like The Rental uh where there's someone who has uh basically just like rigged up an airbnb for for disaster and and destroying everything that's going on in there uh great cast like looking back on it i mean you've got dan stevens who has done some great stuff allison brie obviously is in it because dave franco made it but jeremy allen white golden globe winner jeremy allen white now for uh for the bear, bear. Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it's got a good cast, and it was it was an interesting movie. But if you're talking about a vacation gone wrong, I don't think it could go quite as wrong as uh, uh, the the previous tenant of the Airbnb rigging the place with secret cameras to uh, to haunt the next the next group. So the rental is my number four. It's that a is great a nice call. choice. I had forgotten about that movie. But I think it was thrice approved, was it not? I think we all liked it. I'm not sure we all gave it thumbs up, but we all were, we all were around the same, the same range, I think. But yeah, I mean, I, I that was also the one movie that we all paid full price rental for. I was gonna say, I think wow. this was the, the first, the first uh, streaming dream. rental I had to, I had to buy. Yeah, that is very much a COVID movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Todd, number four. Okay, well, I mean, Terry already mentioned one of the John Hughes movies, so I had to, I had just had to go with National Lampoon's Vacation. Um, mm-hmm. I have previously mentioned it on uh, the best swimming pool scenes, which obviously, I mean, that's part of why this Cold! eventually goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, he almost he he basically gets caught trying to cheat on his wife at a at a at a nasty hotel. But they they are obviously vacationing as a family across country to Wally World, Dad, Wally World, Dad. Um, and uh, a lot of bad things happen. The someone dies. Uh, they have obviously a lot of car trouble. Um, they're just sort of like haunted by the same people on the road. It's um, someone has died. They they end up in a really Wrong movie. some some really like horrible neighborhoods. Even I mean, and once they get there, of course, the place is closed, and then they have to basically hold John Candy hostage so that they can ride the ride the. Um, the rides and stuff. And yeah, I mean, National Memphis <laughs> Vacation, I've seen it a bunch of times. It's a lot of fun. This is, it, I realized that it's like a lot of horror movies and a lot of comedies that you're going to come up with on this list. And this is probably just one of the great just road trip vacation movies. Because a lot of road trips aren't actually vacations. They're just sort of like, like Limous Sunshine's not a vacation or something. This is like a great dysfunctional family road trip vacation. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's the classic right there. I would have picked Vegas Vacation for the same reason I picked Black Bear because it's unwatchable. 
It's not all. It's not only only a vacation gone wrong, but a movie gone wrong too. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> European vacation is not good either. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't think I've seen. I haven't seen Euro vacation or Vegas vacation. You're lucky. Or the new one. Or the new one with uh, oh, with the Helms. Yeah, that one's really yeah, that's, bad. That's bad too. They're all pretty bad. They're kind of one of those things where like people like it, but who knows why? Like I know Todd just listed it, so you know the first one's probably the most defensible, but I don't know. There's got to be like like to me, it's like uh, you know rodeo or something. Like why do people go or country music? I don't get it. What is the appeal? But people like it for some reason. Uh, the rodeo thought, and country music. I thought yeah, about putting it on my equivalent. list. I thought about putting it on my list, and I I decided to to go with less some less obvious choices, maybe. So okay. All right, Zach, number three. Does that mean a man called Otto is a vacation movie? Because he's a vaca- he's vacationing from now. It's not a vacation. Just, just shut okay. your damn out. Number three on my list is also a divisive movie. One of the most divisive movies ever on our uh, illustrious website. It's coming up on a fifteenth anniversary. So Terry, I think you got to see it and decide which team you're on. That movie is the remake, English remake of Funny Games. Uh, which is a, I think, a great movie. Todd disagrees vehemently, uh, but uh, I've never seen the original, so I don't know what I'm talking about because it's, it's a the first time you've ever admitted that. Well, I I don't remember the original. I don't. I consider that I, if I don't remember, I haven't seen it. The remake sticks stands out to me though, and uh, it's because I saw it on my 21st birthday, quite inebriated, and it was a great cure for being drunk because I sobered up right away watching that movie. Uh, it is intense and crazy and violent. Again, memo to Brandon Cronenberg, if you want to make a movie where people are stunned by insane acts of violence um, incurred on normal people, watch the remake of Funny Games. Um, it is a vacation movie for sure because they're at a vacation rental and Tim Roth is in it and he's been in a lot of vacation movies lately. So uh, yeah, I put it on my list more just to bring it up, not because I really think it's a great movie or anything, but uh, just to irritate Todd. The original was considered for my list, at least. But nice. <sighs> okay, well, we're on fifteen years, Terry. I think I think the time has come for you to watch it or watch the original. Why don't you watch the original maybe, and maybe both. the the remake like on two screens? That would be fascinating simultaneously. That would be fascinating. It's still the same movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only difference is how I they pack the eggs. That. Is that true? I did. I really seemed like it. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. All right. Time for my number three. And, and uh, I'm, I'm stretching, potentially stretching the, uh, the, the category a little bit here, but I wanted to go with something a little more classic. It was hard to come up with, you know, vacations gone wrong that happened before like 1980, but I think this one might qualify. I'm going to go with it. It's going back to 1955 with the movie. It's always fair weather. Todd's seen this one. Uh, and I think it works because this is the story of three best buds from uh, that were in the war together. They were soldiers together. It's kind of a spiritual sequel to On the Town. Uh, and the, the three buds are Gene Kelly, uh, Dan Daly, and Michael Kidd. And uh, they end up deciding that in 10 years, they're going to meet up at the same place, the same bar. And uh, and they're going to continue on with their friendship. So they they all go on vacation to meet up at this bar together. And uh, 
they they're like oh man what did i get myself into because they hate each other and uh it's a it's a movie about how they hate each other but they're trying to figure out why they liked each other in the first place there's a great musical number about basically why why do we <laughs> why did we do this what did i ever see in this person um yeah it's something that's a that's more of a classic it's got some great classic dance numbers in it here's a tap dancing scene with garbage cans gene kelly dan uh tap dances and roller skates in this movie but it's definitely a vacation gone wrong because uh yeah they're not the same people they were 10 years before they should have they should have dipped that toe and they didn't they they went all in dip the toe man dip the toe but that, that's a reference to something else but uh yeah it's always fair weather number three almost like the same title as it's almost sunny in philadelphia that's that's you where know, I thought where I thought you were saying the it, first right? five letters are the same. Yeah, <laughs> I would have never thought of that. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. It's debatable on how much of a vacation it is, but yeah, I I mean, I could see it. You respect the poll, right? Yeah, I mean, whenever someone goes super obscure, I I, I kind of enjoy that. <laughs> so. Don't hate the game. Isn't that what you texted this week after the Oscar nominations, Terry? I can't. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Potentially. A long time ago. That was a long time ago. Todd, number three. Uh, okay. My number three has previously been mentioned on my most depressing movies uh, power <laughs> rankings, and that is Midsommar, which uh, yes. mm-hmm. I don't think there you could ever have a, a, quite a ho- more horrible vacation. Like These guys uh, go to Sweden, and they end up in this um, cult, this like horrible cult that a lot of people end up dead and they end up like drugged or like i don't know stuffed or something i don't know there, there a lot of weird bizarre shit happens similar to infinity pool i guess in that way and um it, to me that this was like the first the first kind of thing i thought of i was like okay this is clearly one of those things where it's like this is a vacation spot this is where people go but this is not somewhere you ever actually want to go but um, people are into it People are into weird European cult shit, and this is uh, this is one of those movies. Ari Aster is kind of a master at these kind of weird, weird movies. So, there you go, Midsummer number three. Yeah, it's on my honorable mentions. I, I thought about putting it on the list, and I, the thing that made me leave it off is the the best ones. I feel like are the ones where you go into the vacation with all the best intentions in mind. And everything goes sideways where this it was like there there was there was some deep issues going on leading into it like you knew that that, that something was up before it ever started so that's why i was i that was my differentiator there okay yeah, yeah Midsum- i can kind of see that midsummer was my number one i'm just gonna make it my number two so we can keep talking about it because <laughs> I love Midsommar. It was in my top 10 list of that year that it came out. I don't know if I would call it a depressing movie because if you think about the last shot, that's not a depressing last shot. I mean, she's pretty freaking happy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I love this movie. Um, I, I predict it to be on Adam's list somewhere, unless if, if it's not, then we're dealing with an Adam imposter. Maybe a, maybe a clone from uh, Infinity Pool type clone. Um, but anyway, it's a great movie. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's totally you could you could say that it's a research trip, not so much a vacation, but 
you know, whatever. Um, it's it's a wonderful movie. Are we are we excited for the new Ari Aster movie coming out this year? That it's no longer Disappointment Boulevard, right? Bo is afraid. Bo is. Bo I is... like the Disappointment Boulevard a little bit more. Could could be almost the name of our podcast. <laughs> I, I I've only I've only seen Midsummer once. I need to watch it again. But there's I remember the funniest line of the whole thing. There's like the last moment we see Will Poulter alive. He he has it's like I'm going over there, and he's just like following some girl somewhere. And it was like it was hilarious, and like you knew exactly where it was going. It was great. All right. Well, that was Zach's number two, which means it's time to go to my number two. And for my number two, probably in a similar vein to uh, Midsommar, uh, my number two is Us uh, from Jordan Peele. Okay. Um, I I felt like this one this one kind of honored the the spirit of it a little more. Where, I mean, they're they're off. They're they're having a, a good fun vacation. They get there and you you're, okay. There's there's some weird stuff going on, but how how batshit crazy can you get other than you know your demented clone that doesn't talk comes out of nowhere and and starts hunting you down uh that's about as crazy as you can possibly get and uh yeah uh it they hunt down a couple different type different families there's all sorts of different stuff going on and yeah crazy it's crazy and it's jordan peele so my number two it's us more clone doppelganger mentions. Yeah, very, uh, yeah. <laughs> very Infinity Pool there too. <laughs> yeah, that's a good right. one. I had that on my honorable mentions. Sweet. All right, Todd, number two. Uh, okay, my number two is uh, from dusk till dawn. So um, oh. this family uh, led by Harvey Keitel is vacationing, road trip in southern Texas somewhere, I believe. Yeah, like it, it it gets pretty bad for them. Like they get, uh, like kidnapped and uh, threatened by these uh, bank robbers slash like kind of serial killer dudes and like rapists. And uh, then they like get taken across the border and they end up at some strip club with a bunch of vampires and shit. Um, I I can't think of a family vacation going quite that extreme in any sense. And um. Robert Rodriguez just directs the hell out of it. I remember when I reviewed this and all of its sequels on the podcast one time. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but this is... Um, they're not necessarily the main characters because the, the Gecko brothers are the main characters. But uh, it, it it does eventually make it sort of more about the family, about Ju- Juliet Lewis and, uh, and Harvey Keitel and company. So, yeah. I, they're on a vacation. It works. That's a good one. That's nice. a good one. I like it. Thanks. Good. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, that was one the one of the last ones I thought of. I was like, oh, that actually does really work. Cool. All right, Zach, number one. What did you switch to number one? I just flip-flopped my number two and number one. You haven't seen my number one according to the website, Terry, so maybe Todd will just have to agree with me. It is from 2014. Recently had a really bad remake, apparently. It is from Academy Award nominee Ruben Ostlund, Force Majeure, because really... What is worse than, you know, uh, vampires attacking families and what is worse than a Willem Dafoe bringing a bomb to a boat? And what is worse than all these horror, you know, John Candy, uh, just his presence? What is worse than all of that? (laughs) Fighting with your spouse an entire vacation. 
And what happens in force majeure is uh, well, that exact thing. Uh, there is a force majeure uh, where a uh, avalanche starts happening with this uh, family that's vacationing in the Alps. And uh, the father basically pulls a George Costanza. He is a coward and runs away instead of protecting his family. And the rest of the movie is the shit that his wife gives him for being a coward. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, 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 if that sounds entertaining to you, uh, then, you know, you're going to enjoy this movie. It is a great like one and a half hour. Just, you know, you're stuck with this family. You're stuck with all the tension and they're on vacation. So they can't like go to their separate quarters or anything. Um, you're stuck with each other. It's a perfect, perfect sort of um, existential terror of being on vacation. And uh, I never saw the remake, but when it was when I saw it was Will Ferrell and Lou, Julie Louis Dreyfus, two actors I respect. I thought this is this is gonna be a comedy, and this movie is not a comedy whatsoever. So it's a great movie that captures the uncomfortableness of uh, of a terrible vacation gone wrong. It it really sums up this category nicely, I think. The remake was not really a comedy, maybe a remake dark comedy, a... but it didn't work. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it did, it just didn't work. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very angry movie. Yeah, yeah. First Majeure is a great call. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that does pretty much fit exactly what I was going for. Now, if the director had been Michael Haneke and he had made a shot by shot remake with Julia Louis Dreyfus and Will Ferrell, maybe I would have been more for that. That would have been more my jam. The the moment and then you where would have where the, the yeah. The moment where the avalanche happens, though, and it's Will Ferrell running away, abandoning his family, really works well. <laughs> that that moment Perhaps. works. Yeah. All right. My number one, uh, like I said at the beginning, I couldn't really think of a great number one, but so I, I just went with like the class, the most classic that was on my list. I think it works the best uh, because. I mean, how much how much poorly could a vacation have gone than it went for Thelma and Louise? So that's uh, that's my number one. They, I mean, they're off on an adventure together. They're off to get away to to have some fun. They end up killing someone. They end up getting robbed by a shirtless Brad Pitt. They end up driving off a cliff to their demise together. I mean, that's Spoiler. about spoil. I, yeah, I think everyone knows how this ends. Um, this is about as a as a as bad as a vacation could have gone, with the best intentions in mind at the beginning, just needing a, a a you know weekend away to get out, get away, have some fun, and everything goes south in every possible way. And it's not a comedy, which I think makes it work even better. So, Thelma and Louise, that's my number one. Is it really a vacation movie, though? Yeah. It is. <laughs> I mean, they're kind of fleeing, but okay. Road trip. It's vacation. It's, it's kind of like if you're going to call that a vacation movie, then I would call maybe like a history violence a vacation movie, but you just don't realize it. But... <laughs> what? I don't think that works. They're not. Yeah, they're never right. on vacation. Well, but he's he's fleeing. I don't know. Never mind. Forget it. Todd, number one. Yeah, number, coming up with the number one was hard for me too, but I, I ended up going with just my favorite movie that qualifies in the category, and it's kind of similar to Zach's uh, in terms of it's just like you go on vacation and you're just fighting with your spouse the whole time. It's before midnight, um, which I, <laughs> yeah. I also have uh, mentioned. That. 
on my film franchises uh, power rankings and my top 10 of 2010s. Uh, but yeah, they're, um, you have Jesse and Celine and they're vacationing to Greece. And once they get there, they just are at each other's throats almost the entire movie. They, they argue about everything. They sort of fall out of love. They've been married for what, 18 years or something. And uh, it's, but, but it's just, everything comes to a head while they're on this vacation, which when you're removed from your normal life, it sort of like everything amplifies and then you can have these sort of arguments. And, but this one actually becomes really personal and you, you get the point of view of both characters and it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch, but it's also just fascinating because the writing is so good and the directing is so good. And of course, so they played these characters like as, as well as you can play any two characters over three movies. And so before midnight is the only one that they're both truly on vacation. And, uh, it's in Greece. I don't know why it's what it's something about Europe vacation movies that uh that makes makes great vacations gone wrong. How how uh how often do you think about the fact that we are now at 2023 and I think we can officially say that the that the before series is over. Yeah, I I thought about that all of last year. Yeah. It's sad. Very but sad. They they could re- revisit it in some way. They have said that they could they could make like a I don't know some form of one off thing Waking in, in life another too. form. Yeah, oh yeah, maybe yeah they, they were <laughs> in that too. That's true. Uh it's a great call. It's a great call. All right, you know, that Let's... does have a lot. I never considered that that does have a lot of similarities to the Force Majeure. I mean, there's a lot of parallels between those movies. No, no avalanche though in the four men life. I don't think Rick has ever made a movie with an avalanche, unfortunately. Well, no, but he, they're also like they're in like some resort in Greece. Like I don't right. think they're going to have an avalanche. There could be a crazed madman on a boat ramming it into. Well, that's a different movie. All right, let's count down our five to one, then talk about some honorable mentions. Zach, five to one. Number five is Black Bear, which Todd says is not a vacation movie. He also says it's a good movie. Number four is Speed 2, Cruise Control. Number three is Funny Games, the remake. Number two is Midsommar. And number one is Force Majeure. And for me, number five, The Great Outdoors. Number four, The Rental. Number three, It's Always Fair Weather. Number two, Us. Number one, Thelma and Louise. Todd. Number five, Spring Breakers. Number four, National Lampoon's Vacation. Number three, Midsommar. Number two, From Dusk Till Dawn. And number one, Before Midnight. All right, Zach, honorable mentions. Okay, uh, I went with Babel, uh, Babel. Oh, uh, Two from this past year, uh, Triangle of Sadness and After Sun. Although After Sun is not a vacation from hell. I think the hell happens after the vacation, but it's still a vacation movie. Uh, I said cheaper by the dozen too. Very, very Brady sequel when Carol is abducted by her ex-husband who's after the horse and they go to Hawaii. Yeah, I know you guys appreciate that pick. Barb and Star uh, go to Vista Del Mar's obvious oh, pick. Oh, nice. Um, uh, Palm Springs, Spring Breakers, Traveling North. And then I also had a few what we call getting cute definitions of vacation. So I went with um, American Honey. Uh, is that vacation? I don't, maybe, maybe not. I Maybe I'm being cute. Matchstick Men, because it's summer vacation. Inside Lou and Davis, because they do take a trip to Chicago. Um, Apollo 13, because uh, he's most decidedly out of the country. And I think you could pitch The Deer Hunter as a vacation movie. I'm not entirely convinced you couldn't do it. 
Um, and then my final picks, I, I have uh, Knock at the Cabin, which uh, we haven't seen yet, but I look forward to Todd having to watch it and give it one star. <laughs> um, obviously, a trip to Pittsburgh, because that's a that's a vacation from hell. Yep. And finally, Vantage Point, because Forrest Whitaker was on vacation in Spain, and he was there. They weren't. But we weren't there. Yeah. Rewind that. Okay, there's oh. no way Palm Springs is a vacation movie. They're they're at a wedding. That's not a vacation. It's a. It, I mean, I think if if you're calling uh 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 your uh, what was it um the the gecko movie uh with George Clooney from Dust Till Dawn. Dawn. If you're calling that, they're a on a family movie, vacation road trip. Palm they're not a vacation. Movie. Palm Springs. They're at a wedding. They're just stuck there. It's a destination wedding. I, I, I'm. I'm J.K. Okay Simmons that. has to travel there. He's going on vacation. I actually yeah. had Palm Springs on my honorable mentions too. So, uh, okay, but, whatever. but I was on. I stayed on my honorable mentions because I didn't think it necessarily qualified as well as others did. Uh, so, uh, some other ones I have on here. One that I just watched a couple weeks ago. I had a sick day a couple weeks ago, and I just threw on a random TCM movie, and it was The Thin Man Goes Home from the, mm. the classic murder mystery uh, series. And this is one where he goes on vacation. He goes on vacation and visits his family. And uh, his wife realizes that his, uh, that his dad doesn't appreciate what he does. And so she tries to like get a mystery, like going so that he has something to investigate. And then someone ends up dead on their doorstep. So that's a big vacation. I, I love that there. Terry, you're turning into like Ben Mankiewicz. You got these TCM polls. That's like your lane. <laughs> it's gotta be a future over under. Uh, yeah. Uh, glass onion, I think definitely qualifies as a vacation gone wrong. Um, Midsommar, mm. National Lampoon's vacation, Palm Springs, old, the M night Shyamalan movie from a couple years ago. We all watched mm. definitely mm -hmm. vacation gone wrong. Definitely not good. Uh, the, that was not a qualifier that we needed here. Uh, and the last one I had written down is a movie I really do need to see again, but as of right now is my number one of 2003. It's Swimming Pool. Nice. I didn't end up on my list because I honestly don't remember how much of it is actually a vacation gone wrong. So Yeah, I, I wouldn't I even have told game. you it was vacation. I don't know. I don't remember that movie either. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Todd. Uh, so if you were going TV shows, the flight attendant is pretty much, I mean, that's like as vacation from hell as you possibly get. But, um, other movies I have, uh, Hostel, which is another one of those, just don't go to Europe, I'm backpacking ever. And, uh, Who Can Kill a Child is a movie that, uh, Eli Roth actually always talks about how great it is. And yeah, I watched it and it is pretty much like a, a horrible vacation for a lot of tourists. Uh, Into the Wild, I would have it on my list, but I'm not sure he's actually on vacation as if, or if that's just like his new life, just like traveling around the mountains in in um in alaska but and does it really go wrong i mean that's the only way that could have ended right i mean which is why i left it off but it, it, it could be argued that it could be still vacation i guess um the descent another horror movie <laughs> and along with eden lake both movies i really like and both are just horrible horrible uh or like great movies, horrible vacations. Um, Piranha 3D, although it could be argued that it's not that bad for a lot of the, the people that are there, but they are on vacation and a lot of piranhas do pretty much wreak havoc on the world. I also had Us, uh, The Impossible, although it's not a good movie, it is definitely a vacation that uh, a lot of bad things happen, like a, like a tsunami. And uh, yeah, Home Alone yeah. 2. And, and an Oscar nomination for Naomi Watts. That's a bad <laughs> exactly. That's, that's that is true. That's gone wrong. Home Alone 2, uh, because he actually does go on vacation, although it's not a great movie either. Uh, 
and it does actually kind of go good for him too at the same time. I don't know, maybe that doesn't qualify. <laughs> but yeah, there we go. Yeah, I thought about the impossible, but it felt a little too real to make fun of in the list like this, so I didn't put it on. <laughs> That's fair. All right, well, now it is time to try and guess Adam's list to see who wins this week, who wins power rankings, and who gets to pick next time. So, Zach, you are first. Give us your five to one for Adam's list. All right, Num- number five, New Order. That Mexican movie he keeps telling us about. <laughs> the wedding? <laughs> yeah, the wedding. <laughs> Number four, what about Bob? Number three, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Number two, up. And number one, Midsommar. All right. See, I thought about up, but I mean, I don't think that's really a vacation. I think he's just gone. Like, it's, it's like into the wild. <laughs> All right. So my mine for uh, Adam, I've got number five, Cedar Rapids. I mean, it's a business nice. trip, but it's kind of a vacation. But that number was a great f- vacation. Number four, National <laughs> yeah, Lampoon's vacation. Sure. Number three, Train to Busan. Uh, because he's yeah. totally having that on his list. Number two, Jurassic Park. And number one, The Shining. <laughs> okay. Also debatable vacation, but yes, but very if he thinks of it, it, it totally would work. Terry and I have similar lists. I have number five, Jurassic Park, number four, Deliverance, number three, Train to Busan, number two, Jaws. Which I'm not sure how much of a vacation is, but kept popping up on random lists. And number one, Midsommar. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's his list. Honorable mentions: uh, The Fablemans. Sammy recording his mom's feelings for Benny. What? Okay. Uh, Vegas vacation. <laughs> there we go. Guilty pleasure for me, he says. A goofy movie. Mm. And the trip from 2010. Is that the like Steve Coogan thing where yeah. they're like there was doing a trip to Greece dueling Michael Caine and there was a trip to Italy, but how is that a trip gone wrong? They're eating a bunch know. of good food. I don't know. It was honorable <laughs> mentions. Okay. Uh, here's his actual list. Number five. What about Bob? Yes. You gotta be kidding me. Jack's gonna win this shit. Number four, <laughs> Midsummer. Number three, Home Alone. The first one. The family does the has a trip gone wrong. Number two, forgetting Sarah Marshall, and number one, National Lampoon's Vacation. I, I got I, one. I think he forgot about Train to Busan. I must have. <laughs> yeah. He must have. Interesting Park and Jaws. Yeah. And the shiny. I really, I really I thought, thought he was gonna have Deliverance on there. Cedar like that, that's that's as bad of a vacation as it get. So wait, so Zach got what four, three, three? Because oh, you didn't Terry... say National Lampoon's Vacation, did you? No. Oh. So Zach wins. Zach gives Zach Zach gives Zach his thirtieth point. Uh, I have forty-five, and Terry has twenty-eight. All right. Well, that's trivia. Moving or that's that's power rankings. Now, (laughs) now it's trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. So. Trivia. This is trivia. Todd, this is you too. Um, and so uh, you had to, uh, you assigned us stuff to watch. Well, you assigned one of us something to watch, and Zach corrected a mistake from the last time. So who's going first? Oh, uh, for the, I mean, I guess Zach would go first because he was assigned this a lot longer ago. So it's true. It's true. Let's see if he remembered and actually watched the right thing. 
Zach, <laughs> I, report. I was not remembering until 24 hours ago, so I'm glad that uh, <laughs> Todd reminded me. I just blocked this movie out of my head for some reason. I went. I had Again. to watch uh, Todd's or not Todd Adam's cinematic muse, Samara Weaving, um, not Margot Robbie. Uh, she was in a movie in 2017 called The Babysitter, which I had to watch, directed by Mick G. Um, we all remember Mick G from <laughs> Charlie's that. Angels Full Throttle. Full throttle. <laughs> And I think, wasn't he Ballistic X versus Sever, too? Um, real real classics Ooh, there. We are Marshall. Uh, Terminator <laughs> Salvation. Marshall. Yeah, I miss Mick G. He's pretty amazing. Um, anyway, The Babysitter is uh, stars Samara Weaving as B, and she is the babysitter. And she babysits uh, this kid named Cole, who's played by Judah Lewis. And Cole is a preteen, um, or maybe like a, a, a maybe 13-ish. Um, and you know, they have a rapport that's kind of like Steve Carell's son in uh, Crazy Stupid Love and the babysitter in that movie. He has like this adolescent crush on her, and she's obviously a babe. And uh, you know, she comes over to her house, and so far, this doesn't seem like an Adam movie very much until it turns out that she's a part of sadistic of a sadistic cult where she drains people's blood and kills them. And so now we see, okay, this is this is to Adam's two interests in life, Samara weaving and crazy, bloody cult movies. Uh, home invasion cult movies. Um, not, maybe not as good as a goofy movie, but still. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't in the, the right frame of mind to watch this movie, honestly. Uh, I don't know. It's To me, it was like, it was a two-star movie. Now, I guess what I'll say, a, a few notes about it. Number one, there's a really good, so this kid who's 13 years old, quietly good stick man, right? He's kind of like the Brock Purdy of stick men. He's got the moves with Samara Weaving and this girl next door who's into him. There's another girl who's killed in the movie that's into him. There's this great YouTube video out there uh, from about 10 years ago of this 11-year-old who as like a candy camera thing, he, he walks around this college campus and tries to get uh, college girls' numbers and every single girl gives him their number. It's crazy. So I don't know if it's something, it's maybe some something about being a, a 13-year-old boy or something like that, but stick men out there. There is hope, okay? Watch The Babysitter, watch that YouTube clip. Um, the second thing I have to say is that this movie has a sequel. And originally I was going to give this movie one and a half stars, but the strange thought occurred to me this morning that I would actually kind of maybe watch this sequel. So I don't know what that means. And I think it's probably better than infinity pool. So I'm going to stick to two stars, even though this really wasn't really my thing. It's probably a vacation movie too. It probably, well, the parents, I think go on vacation in it, but they do come back. It's, it's very similar to that home alone, the sadistic home alone movie that we watched a few years ago. Do you, I don't know if you got, maybe you guys didn't see, maybe it was just me and Adam, but the, the home alone version, like the remake, but it was like an R rated home alone. Do you guys oh, remember that? I yeah. can't remember the name. I remember of it. it happening. Very, very similar vibes to that movie, but I would, I would maybe watch the sequel. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> All right. Well, there's that. Now it's my turn to report on what I had to watch. Todd had me watch one of his uh, favorite classic movies that I hadn't seen. I think it's like number 34 on his top 100. It's really far up there. Uh, from 1942, Sullivan's Travels, written and directed by Preston Sturgis, starring Joel LaCrea and Veronica Lake. Joel LaCrea stars as John L. Sullivan, a Hollywood director who wants to make a, uh, a gritty drama about the plight of the American, uh, the American poor, low income individuals. So he decides to masquerade as one of them 
to try and uh, and get inside the psyche and the head of what is going on with these people. And in the process, uh, he runs into Veronica Lake. He runs into a lot of other things going on. Uh, he ends up. Uh, everyone thinks he's dead. Um, he uh, ends up in prison. Um, it, it's this is. This is one of those movies that is really kind of special in that it is so far ahead of its time. Like, like this guy is like, I'm a director and I'm going to go all, all, uh, all method here. And I'm going to go walk around in their shoes for a little while. So I understand what they are. I don't want to make any more comedies. I want to understand these people. I want to get in their heads. Uh, and, uh, what, what do you think about the labor situation? I mean, he, he's on a train and he just asks some random drifter that question. It's like that you, you, you have no idea what's going on here. It, it's a it's a really fun movie, too, that uh, that gets real at some points. Um, it's one that I, I could see. I know Todd's lived with this movie for a while, so I could see living with it. It continuing to go up and up the list. I have it at three and a half stars right now. I could easily see it moving up to four stars in the future as I continue to live with this movie and continue to just keep thinking about it. But yeah, it's it's something it's something really interesting in how how ahead of its time it is. They didn't make movies like this at this time that that were so uh, self-referential, self-deprecating. And I mean, it, it's like the most meta movie of the 40s with a little sex in it, with a uh, little sex in it. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, Preston Sergis, that was sort of his his thing once you get like uh, the his rhythm uh that that he writes with like you'll you'll just fall in love with this movie it's like i think you specifically terry will fall in love with this movie it's like it but yeah it, it's like the quintessential great depression movie but it's also a comedy and which is i love that the coen brothers made oh brother where art that which is the movie he was making they yeah. made it as a comedy musical when he wanted it to be a drama in the comedy musical great great depression movie it's the, the the layers of that go go deep, but yeah, I'm I'm glad you liked it. Um, yeah, it's 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 it, it will be one of those ones. If you watch it again, you'll be like, okay, yeah, this is one of one of the all time greats. Definitely it's one got, of the great movies of the '40s. It's kind of impossible not to like, and uh, and eventually I could see I could see you end up loving it. So yeah, I think it, I think it was Ben Mankiewicz that said like Preston Sergis's movies are. The perfect time capsule to when you watch them you know what it was like to live at that specific time in the world mm. and uh that, i mean I, I couldn't describe it better than that yeah oh cool. all right cool okay trivia time todd you're running things what are we doing here all right well this is this is more of like a, a zach thing to do because i found i came across this article it was the uh come out magazine uh in 20 december 2021 released their top 50 coolest filmmakers in the world right now and um so for reference timeout magazine is a they're based in the uk and um i don't know like so like their top 10 of of 2022 included uh licorice pizza top gun maverick the northman after sun parallel mothers banshees of anishir and the worst person in the world happening living and the quiet girl so it's sort of sophisticated, sort of art house focused, but they're also based in the UK, so they might skew a little bit more international. If you don't know Time Out Magazine, um, so I think I'm going to go the way that Zach does, where you say somebody you think is on the top fifty, and if you if they're on the list, you get two points, and then 
you say where you think they placed on the list, and then you can get an additional one point if you're closer than the other person is to getting in that spot. Does that make sense? Yes. Sure. So coolest oh, so filmmakers right now. What what year did the this come out? Coolest filmmakers in? in the world. This is December twenty twenty one. December tenth, twenty twenty one when it was published. Okay. Okay. So since Zach always pulls this on us, uh, we will start with Zach. Walking uh, Trier. He is not on the list. Go figure. So do I get? Uh, I, I think we'll do like you'll each get five nominees or something. How about uh, something like that? I, what I think there's some good odds that we might go over ten here. It's hard. Our, we're cool filmmaker. What does that mean? Cool. The coolest filmmakers in the world. You, yeah. I mean, Moncar like Y. He's cool. He wears the glasses. I don't know. All right, go ahead, Terry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's go, Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho is on the list. That is two points for Terry. And where do you think he ranks? Seven. Uh, Zach? Uh, 13. He was number one. Oh! So Terry gets another point. Zach? Uh, Chloe Jaw. Chloe Jaw is on the list. That is two points. I'll say she's number 30. 20. Terry gets a point. She is number six. Ooh. So Terry's choice is it's now four to two, Terry. Ari Aster. Ari Aster is on the list. Two points. 40. 35. Zach gets a point there. He is number 32. Ooh. So six to three, Terry Zackett's the nomination. Uh, the Safety Brothers. Safety Brothers are on the list, and they're not number one, which is shameful. I'm going to go uh, number ten. Five. Uh, Terry gets the point. They are number five. I think I probably should give him a point and a half for that. Getting it exactly on. Uh, Terry, your choice. Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers is on the list. You're starting to get the hang of of where the how they do these lists. <laughs> uh, 45. 45, and Zach says uh, 40. Zach gets the point. They are number 20, or he is number 21. So we now have eight and a half to six. Uh, Zach gets another nomination. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele is on the list. Number 10. That is correct. Oh, uh, so. Nice. There we go. So now we have Terry's choice, and it is now nine and a half to eight and a half. And how many more they, picks do we get? Terry gets two more, and Zach gets one more. Okay. <clears throat> Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig is on the list. 25. Mm, 26. <laughs> Terry gets the point. It was, she's number 19. Okay. 
So Zach's choice is now 11 and a half to nine and a half. Uh, course filmmakers. Okay. Um, gosh, I got to make this one count. Uh, um, I'm going to say Alfonso Cuaron. That is correct. Nominee in 2022, by the way, <laughs> for a short film. Oh, yeah, he was. Uh, he's he's old, though, so that was my re reluctance. So I'm going to say he's like 30. 31. Uh, he was 27. So Zach oh! was That's a pretty good stab. Uh, now we go into our last pick uh it is 12 and a half to 10 or 11 and a half zach leads so terry needs to get this <laughs> needs to get somebody on the list and then still get closer quentin tarantino quentin tarantino is not on the list no come on seriously <laughs> he's not cool. i know how do you leave that, tarantino off of the coolest what, film directors list? that's what i thought when i was reading this list that was oh. the, one of the main He's old. You can't He's... go with old people. Oh. So I win, right? So yeah, Zach wins 12 and a half Super to 11 and a half. Damn. This sobriety so, thing is working out. So, uh, okay. So number two, you guys didn't get uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, no. Julia How can Ducour you have PTA at two, but no Tarantino? That's what I thought, That's too. That's ridiculous. Uh, number three, Julia Ducournau, which oh, I think is... Yeah. Strange. Uh, Spike Lee is number four. Another old oh. guy. Um, see so here we got Barry Jenkins at number seven. Pedro Almodovar at number eight. Really old. Uh, Ryan Coogler number nine. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, some lady named Kathy Yan. There's some filmmakers I've never heard of. Celine Siama's on here. Yorgos Lanthimos. Werner Herzog is on the list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some animated directors. S.S. Rajamuli is on the list, which I think is interesting because this was before RRR. This was before so, RRR, yeah. So they were uh, looking ahead there. Ruben Ostland is also on here. David Fincher appears at number 29. Luca Guadagnino is on here. Taika Waititi, Kelly Reichardt, um, Lulu Wong, uh, Andrea Arnold, Phil Lord, and Chris Miller. Ryan Johnson, Alex Garland. I mean, like they they have a lot of great ones, but there are some I've never heard of. But Oscar Farhadi. like Lu Lucretia Martel is number forty-two. I have no idea who that is. Definitely cooler than Tarantino, apparently. No Which Farhadi. One? Farhadi. Farhadi's not on the list. I don't think anybody has ever said that he's cool. But uh, <laughs> I think he's pretty cool. <laughs> I was surprised Wong Kar Wai wasn't on the list though. Like that, he is definitely the epitome of cool. It makes sense that Rajamuli's on the list. I uh, I heard someone say that. RRR, it's like it was like basically if like Spielberg followed up ET by making an action film with Schwarzenegger and Stallone, like that's that's like the team up of what RRR was. But yeah. that's pretty. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, man. I mean, who who in their right mind says that that licorice pizza was cooler than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Well, they, they, they had, I told you, Licorice Pizza, Pizza was their number one of 2022. Yeah, that's fair. That should have been a hint. Yep. All right. Quote of the daytime. Let's wrap this up so we can go watch some football. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. 
Zach, you won. You go first. My quote comes from the increasingly vantage point-esque trailer for uh, Knock at the Cabin. And it is when... Um, uh, are, we, are we reviewing 80 for Brady? <laughs> <laughs> it is when Dave Bautista is uh, at, the, at the cabin knocking. And he's, and I think this quote applies to our podcast. He says, you see, the four of us have a very important job to do. In fact, it might be the most important job in the history of the world. And that is the way I feel about this podcast. <laughs> to inform yes. people, to watch uh, great movies, like funny games. Nice. nice. An infinity pool. I'll go next. My, uh, my quote comes from Sullivan's Travels. I think it applies to this weekend's football. And I think it also applies to uh, talking about vacations gone wrong because it references a place that Zach talked about in his, in one of his vacations gone wrong. At one point, John L. Sullivan says, "If they knew what they liked, they wouldn't live in Pittsburgh." <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's one thing we can all agree on: is the Steelers suck. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> and it's as, as exciting as taking a trip to Pittsburgh. Todd. Wrap us up. Uh, my quote comes from From Dusk Till Dawn, my number two uh, Vacation Gone Wrong movie. It's from Seth Gecko, played by George Clooney. He says, I know that I have put you through hell and that I have been one rough pecker, but from here on out, you are all in my cool book. And that's how I feel about this podcast. Well played. Well done. All right. Well, with that, we're drawing this episode to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribing, rate, and reviewing. Wherever you find your podcast, go to almostsideways.com, see everything there. Sign up for the Oscar challenge. The link is up on Twitter, on Facebook, on almostsideways.com. See if you can predict. Let's see how uh, how well you do. We'll be back at you next time with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.